Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 97. I hope each and every one of you are having a fantastic week out there. Uh, Life is still a bit shuttered. Uh, I hope everybody's getting a lot of practice time in. I I was joking around with with a friend the other day, and I said, everybody is going to be a monster drummer after this thing is over because all we can do is sit around in woodshed right now, uh, which is a good thing. So I hope everybody's staying safe and staying healthy. We have a fantastic interview for you today. Uh, I have been looking forward to this one for quite some time. I'm going to be joined today by the great David Northrup uh, of Boz Skaggs, Travis Tritt, the Oak Ridge Boys, Tanya Tucker. He's just played with everybody. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation that we had right after this message from our sponsor, Lost Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Lost Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Lost Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're about to be joined by the great David Northrup in just a moment. Uh, David has just had a legendary career in Nashville. He has played with just scores and scores of fantastic artists. Um most notably, he spent 10 years in Travis Tritt's uh, touring band, uh, which was just at the height of Travis's career. So uh, David has lots of great experience. Most recently, he was touring with Boz Skaggs, uh, and he has a 
fantastic new solo record out called Shapes, and it is released under his name of David Northrup, and we talked to him all about that. And David is just such a nice guy and and just always goes out of his way to help other drummers. Um, Just a fantastic human being. I know you're going to get a lot out of this interview. So please help me welcome to the Drum Shuffle, David Northrup. Hey, good afternoon, David. How's it going today? Good. Good, Jamie. How are you? I can't complain too much, uh, you know, adjusting to the new normal as everyone is. Uh, thanks so much for taking some time to come on the drum shuffle. We really do appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. For sure, man. For sure. So, um, I, you know, as is the tradition here on our show, we we try to start at the at the beginning and kind of understand what your roots are. It's my understanding that you you grew up in upstate New York, correct? Yes, that's correct. So Buffalo or or which area of upstate New York are you from? Actually, central New York. Okay. uh, A small town just outside of Syracuse. Okay. Uh, The town was called Chittenango. Okay. Okay. Now, so being from... New York, um, you know, I mean, obviously you're a Nashville guy and you've been in Nashville for a lot of years. I think you did a stint in Florida as well. Um, and, and, and we'll kind of scratch on that here in just a second, but growing up in New York, were you always drawn to the drums? Is there a kind of a seminal moment that you can point to that said, yeah, I knew I was going to be a drummer at this point. Yes, kind of. Interestingly enough, I uh, I was fortunate to be brought up in a time where, you know, in the 70s, where there was a lot of great music, 70s through the 80s. And uh, I had an uncle about seven years older than I am, my mother's brother. Uh, and he was into really great, great music and turned me on to a lot of exceptional music when I was very young, you know, from Rush to the Beatles to Jethro Tull, Steely Dan, Queen. And he was, he had a, just a, a wonderful taste and very diverse taste in music. And uh, from an early age, I remember hanging out with him and listening to his albums. And when I was, I uh, probably 16 years old, he took me to my first concert, which was David Gilmore. Oh, wow. Guitar player. Yeah, guitar player from Pink Floyd. It was, uh, he was promoting a new album called About Face. And he took me to that concert in Syracuse at a place called the Landmark Theater, which was a big theater there in Syracuse. And I remember watching the show incredibly just enthralled by the show and the music of course because i was a fan but i i focused in on the drummer who was chris slade oh yeah yeah chris slade (laughs) you know played with man for man and asia and did a stint with uh acdc and i just remember looking and watching and listening and thinking that is the most incredible thing in the world yeah, to be able to be up on stage playing this great music, and you know, 
I don't know how much I was thinking about the possibility of getting paid to do it, but I was just thinking, ah, that that's amazing. So that was a very big turning point. I, I recognized that as officially being bit by the music bug. That's when everything had changed for me. And I, I had been playing several years. Uh, that was 1984. I started playing in 1980. Okay. So, that was the turning point right there. That's when uh, things went off in my brain. Yeah. So now, having been playing for a few years before, you know, the, the bug bit you, as you put it, um, were you taking lessons? Were you doing, you know, kind of school, you know, jazz band, things like that? Yes, I was involved with all the, uh, the school music activities, you know, um, concert band, uh, stage band, which was, you know, considered jazz band. We had a Dixieland band, anything that had drum set, uh, I was involved in. And of course, you know, as I said, the concert band and about that time in 1984, probably shortly after that concert, I started taking private lessons, drum set lessons, reading lessons from uh, some teachers in, in the area. I got gotcha. you. Now, so during this time, you know, as, as a young teen and, and, you know, you're taking lessons, all that good stuff, were you, you know, were you forming garage bands with your buddies and things like that? Yeah, that's actually uh, a good question. I, uh, I, think, I think starting my sophomore year, um, probably right around that time I did, I was, I was involved with, um, some musicians, older musicians that were in my high school when we, we would practice and play. We played a few, uh, dances at our high school. Um, and I played with different bands like that, uh, starting my sophomore year. Uh, throughout the rest of high school, I, I actually ended up playing with a college band uh, my senior year. Uh, all the other musicians in the uh, the band were from Syracuse University, and uh, I was still in high school. <laughs> I got so I mean that was where you were kind of cutting your teeth, learning how to do live shows, things like that. Yes, I got gotcha. you. Um, I, now how soon after, you know, your, your school career, did you decide to, to like move away from New York? Did you stay in New York for a while? Kind of, you know, chasing the, the, the circuit, the scene and bands like that, or did you decide to leave town pretty much, you know, right after school? What actually took place is, uh, it took me. It took me about a year and a half, two years after high school to really decide that music was going to be my path. After I graduated, I, I went to college for a year uh, for something totally contrary to, to music. I, I was studying health education, and I thought I was going to get into you know physical fitness training, pop, possibly sports medicine, something like that. Uh, I was... Uh, you know, an athlete in high school. And I was really into that sort of thing. Sure. 
So I, I attended Cortland State University in New York for a year. And after a year, I realized that that's not the path I was going to take. And during that time, I was still playing with that band from Syracuse University. So after leaving college, I spent about a year and a half around Syracuse. Um, I started studying again with some premier local players, uh, player teachers. One, one of the guys, his name was uh, Frank Briggs, who uh, has a huge teaching school online called the Drum School. Okay. He's based, based in L.A., fantastic player. Um, and then I studied with Wilby Fletcher, who was a uh, Baltimore guy that spent a lot of time in New York City and ended up in central New York. So I, I studied with those two guys for a bit, uh, about a year and a half, and then relocated to central Florida. Okay. I got you. And now you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I know a little bit about your background, but going to central Florida, I mean, obviously the the work is probably going to be a little bit more steady than what it would be in Syracuse, I'm assuming, you know, because, because you've got two of the biggest tourist attractions on earth in central Florida and lots of tourism, lots of gigs to be had, you know, down in the Orlando area. Um, but while you were down there, is that when and where you met less? Because it, suffice it to say, I think that was the the connection you made that kind of really opened doors for you. Is, is that right? Yes, that, that is right. Les Dudek. Um, I met Les at a small club in Lakeland, Florida on a Wednesday night. Wednesday, Thursday night, I, I was uh, sitting in with a, a blues artist named James Peterson, Lucky Peterson's father. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And, and uh, Les happened to be sitting in as well. We were both sitting and jamming with, with James. And uh, I had known of Les. I was familiar with his background, you know, playing with Boz Skaggs and Steve Miller and uh, Cher and Stevie Nicks, but I wasn't as familiar with his solo work, uh, which is actually absolutely astounding. He's got he put out some amazing records, and obviously I didn't I didn't uh, become aware of those until my association with him took place. But we uh, we jammed together, and, and he liked the way I played, and afterwards. Uh, we hung out at the bar and had a few drinks and closed the place down. And he had discussed with me uh, an album project that he had started about two years prior to our meeting and that he got sidetracked and hadn't finished the project yet and had one track that he needed to record, the title track for the recording for the record. And he asked me if I was interested in doing it, and I was, you know, of course, interested. And he said the original drummer that had played on all the other tracks, <laughs> which was his good friend, had passed away. Oh, man. And, yeah, you know, that kind of stuck with me. And, you know, we sat, we sat there and we continued to talk. And 
And I thought to myself, that's, that's real tragic. And so, you know, I asked him, I was like, you know, that's, that's really sad about your friend who was, who was the drummer that uh, played on all the other tracks and passed away. He goes, Jeff Picaro. <laughs> I mean, and I'm, t- oh my God, I'm 24 years old. I almost <laughs> fell off the bar stool. Of and course. I'm, you know, I'm this young kid and I'm trying to keep it cool. And I thought, holy <laughs> crap, he wants me to finish a record uh-huh. that Jeff Picaro had started. So that was, that was pretty amazing. Yeah. That was a, a total God thing. You know, yeah, well, sure. I mean, you know, I, I'm laughing all through that story because I knew who the other drummer was on the record. And I, I think it's funny that you didn't realize, you know, he, he hadn't disclosed who it was. Of, no. co- of course, no. I'm not laughing at the tragic passing of, no, of one of our masters. But, you yeah. know, I, I think it's funny that, you know, you're you know, this first recording that's going to make a difference for you, you're, <laughs> you're, you're stepping into some pretty darn big shoes. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And, you know, it, it's you know, still to this day, 20 something years later, I just, uh, it's, it was a, a huge, a huge turning point and just a, a real special honor, you know, to, to be featured on a record with my hero that had passed away. And, you know, like I said, I, I really feel like it was a God thing. I, I mean, I, uh, as most drummers that were familiar, that was familiar with Jeff's work, you know, we were all heartbroken when he passed away, especially so young and having a family and, and all that. But he, uh, he was such a special, special player. You know, yeah. and, he, and he moved and influenced so many people. And, and I remember when he passed, I, I I was affected as if I knew him, which unfortunately I never met him. But I, I felt I felt like I had lost someone that I had I had known for years. So it was it was you know a real special God moment, if you will, yeah. for me in my career. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, obviously you, you know, I, I don't want to put too, you know, to, to say, and the rest is history, but, you know, you, you did that gig, you, you finished that record. Um, and, and I know that, you know, here, here recently you've been touring with Boz Skag. So that is certainly a connection, you know, from, from the past to the current that, that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense, you know, that was, that was another just crazy incident. You know, and I, I became, you know, of course, I was always familiar with Boss Gags growing up, and I listened to, you know, I had his records, with, you know, obviously because of Jeff, but just because of the great pop music of the day, you know, in the 80s. That was stuff that I listened to, and I was familiar with his his pop uh, hits from the 70s, and, but I became really... Um, more informed and learn the history of Boz because of Dudek's association with him. Les played with Boz during the heyday. You know, he, he recorded with Jeff, you know, um, uh, he was in Boz's band when, when Picaro was in it. So it was, it was like, you know, the stories were amazing and I was just completely enamored about learning about all that. Um, and then Jeff played on uh, four or five of Dudek's solo records. Yeah. 
you know. And that was, you know, after the recording, I ha- had a chance to play live with him. We did some did some touring and some uh, club dates and stuff. Uh, and I was young, you know. I learned a lot working with Les. Yeah. Um, so that was good. That was like going to school, you know, having the opportunity to play with a guy that had played with my hero, you know, and uh, that was, you know, one of those situations that uh, you couldn't learn like that by going to music school. It was just one of those things you're just thrown in to the fire and, you know, sink or swim. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I think that's amazing. And, and for, for our listeners that don't know, you know, I mean, I grew up on a steady dose of, you know, Southern rock and hard rock and all that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm a couple of years, your junior, I think, but you know, I, I grew up on kind of the, the 80s stuff, you know, but always looking backwards. So mm-hmm. I was a huge Almond Brothers fan growing up, yeah. you know, and for those that don't know, Les started playing with the Allman brothers when he was, you know, 20, 21 years old. I mean, he was just a baby. And, uh-huh. you know, I think one of his claims to fame is he actually maybe did the solo on Ramblin' Man. I'm not sure. He did. He, he so did. that is a true story. That is a true story. Wow. Yep. He is a, the, the first, the first part of that guitar solo. There's two. There's uh, the first one is his, the, you wow. know, the famous one that everybody emulates yeah yeah he was just a kid and the stories of that recording session and his association with the allman brothers were also was also just you know incredible yeah for sure well Mm -hmm. so you know after you met les and you 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 know kind of got to do all these things um you know was the next big break and this is where i kind of lose your chronology but you know certainly the gig that you held for I, I guess the longest period of time was the gig with Travis Tritt and his band. Was that kind of the the uh, how do I want to say this? Was that why you moved to Nashville? Is that what got you to Central Tennessee? Was the Travis Tritt gig? Um, actually, I moved to Nashville in 1995 from Central Florida just to uh, I guess further my career after working with Dudak and having that, that recording credit with Jeff, I thought, well, you know, um, there's not as many opportunities in central Florida for me as a young aspiring musician, as there would be in Tennessee in Nashville, Right. you know? So I made the move. I made the move in 95 and, you know, basically had to start all over again. I, I, uh, I had very few connections up here. Um, but I knew that that was, you know, it was the sensible decision as far as, uh, location was concerned being in a music Mecca, you know, my other alternative was New York city or Los Angeles. And, uh, I didn't feel drawn to those two places. I got you. you. Know? Yeah. And I had visited Nashville and I just thought that this was this, you know, like I was called here. So I made the move and had some very lean times, um, had played with some people. I, I, I got a, I got a break and started working with a, a Cajun country artist named Joel Saunier. Um, 
and did some touring with him, did some recording with him, um, played on a few of his records and, and met some really fantastic musicians during that association. And, um, I was also working with a new country artist named Rebecca Lynn Howard and her bass player, uh, was a guy named Brian Henchcliffe. Sadly, Brian passed away. Uh, about a month ago. Yeah, I, but, I, yeah, yeah. So I actually knew Brian. So that's yeah. Brian. Brian was a great, great guy. Yeah. And uh, so Brian and I, Brian and I hit it off. We were the rhythm section, and as you know, Brian was a great guy. Everybody loved Brian. If you couldn't get along with Brian, then <laughs> yeah, not not a just, lot. Of, yeah, not a lot of hope for yeah. you. Yeah. No, he was just such a good dude. So um, he knew Travis Tritt's management uh falcon goodman um and he liked my playing and he said hey you know dude i i have this in that from my understanding travis is going to be putting together a new band and uh you know i could uh put your name in the hat if you're interested and at that point i had i had auditioned for a bunch of people that year i auditioned for uh Clay Davidson, I didn't get the gig. I auditioned for Pam Tillis. I lost that gig to Rich Redman. <laughs> um, and then I, yeah, I know. Well, I, I laugh because everybody in Nashville has lost one or two gigs to Rich Redman. So. Yeah, well, you know, e- even if it's not a playing situation, his personality is so huge that, you know, uh, and plus, you know, Rich is just a great player. So, yeah. So, um, and then I auditioned for that same year. This is uh, 2000. I auditioned for Trisha Yearwood, and I was sort of the runner-up, and I lost that to uh, Charlie Morgan, Elton John's drummer. Yeah. So, um, so when he had mentioned, when Brian had mentioned, hey, you know, I could get you an audition with Travis, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I, I'm in. But, you know, I had done so many auditions that year, uh, it just really didn't excite me. But uh, sure enough, it eventually materialized. And the very interesting thing about that whole situation was one of, Gary, uh, one of Travis's managers, Gary Falcom, was a, I think, uh, San Francisco guy. So he was very familiar with who Les Judek was. Okay. So when he got my press kit, he was very familiar with that, and he was impressed by that. So when Brian recommended me, they were said, yes, we'd love to have this guy audition. Um, and then once I had a, a slot to audition, um, I got a phone call from Gary and said, Hey, look, we have you auditioning this, you know, this time, uh, on the first day, but we wanted to know if you would be interested in playing drums for all the other auditions. And we'll pay you for it. And I'm like, oh man, yeah. that's that's super. That's well, yeah, it was a huge, huge in because I had a chance to play with Travis more than anybody, right? You know, and I had a chance to really learn. You know, every after my audition, I continued to to play with him with other bass players and and keyboard players and and whatnot. So I I had a chance to really kind of key in 
on his body language and, and his playing and, and, uh, you know, so that was, that was a huge, a huge, uh, advantage for me, but there was a lot of great players auditioned. Mike Kennedy auditioned who, you know, was, uh, had some downtime from, uh, George Strait. Uh, one of my favorite drummers in the eighties, Ian Wallace, who played with Don Henley, he auditioned. Really? Wow. Uh, okay. Yep. Another great drummer who plays with Hank Williams Jr. Now Lee Kelly, he auditioned. So I mean, there was there was some, and there was other guys too. I, I can't I can't remember all of them, but those guys were all really great players. So it wasn't, you know, I had there was some competition there, um, and uh, I think having had the opportunity to play with Travis more than anybody was a was definitely an advantage. Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, we say on this show all the time too, that it's, yeah, you have to know your, your instrument and you have to be a good player, but it's the other 22 hours a day that you travel with all those people. So it it could come down to just the fact that Travis was like, well, David's not a pain in the neck, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's huge. Yeah. You have to be able to live with people on the road and yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it, it helps that, you know, you, can play your instrument, but the fact that you didn't aggravate him at all during that whole process probably well, paid. Well, I'm sure. I'm know. sure I did. He would probably have. He. I know he does. I know he has some stories. You know, but it, it, it's really interesting to think about too. You know, I was uh, I was 32 years old, and I had the gig almost 10 years. So I grew up. You know, that, yeah. that's to me being being you know 20 years older now. Actually, thirty years. I'm I'm going to be fifty two this week, so I'm an old guy. Not really, but you know, in 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 considering the perspective of a thirty two year old guy twenty years ago, um, you know, I was very young. I was very uh, I, I want to say green compared to how I play now, and I also have to consider that Travis was twenty years younger. Yeah, you know? yeah, uh, and he's he's five years older than me. So we were young. We were very young. It was a young band, but it was a it was really ex- exceptional band. And you know, when you have musicians that work together on that level for that many years, there's a there's a significant chemistry that takes place. You know. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So it was. I was very, very, very fortunate um, to have that opportunity. And gosh, he's just a great artist, man. Just a fantastic singer. You know, one of the best that I've ever worked for and just great, great music, so many hits and a wonderful entertainer. Uh, I was reminded every night when I stood on the side of the stage and I watched him do his acoustic set that he did not need any of us. <laughs> <laughs> he well, could do it all by himself. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think a lot of people, it, it's lost on them at just what a great guitar player Travis Tripp yeah. is. And yeah, he, he's, he's the real deal. Yeah. I mean, didn't he, in his early years, didn't he tour with maybe Tanya Tucker as her guitar player? No, no I, don't, I don't think so. Okay. I, um, it, no, he was, he was always, uh, his he own was always an artist. Yeah. To okay. himself, you know, is, I, I think I, maybe I've, I'm getting him mixed up with somebody else, but he, he's a real good guitar player. No doubt about it. Very, very good. Yeah. So, 
Well, and I know you did that gig, you said 10 years, but, you know, after playing with an artist like Travis Tritt and you joined the band, you know, he was, I mean, you know, CMA Entertainer of the Year, uh, you know, during that time. I mean, he was at the height of his career. I mean, he could yeah. do no wrong at that time. And, you know, I mean, it was him and Garth Brooks. You know, I mean, they, those were the two guys at the top of country music. After playing with an artist like that, did you find that it was really easy to get gigs, you know, after playing with somebody like Travis Tritt? Having that on your resume, does that make that huge a difference? Yeah, that's that's interesting that you should say that. Um, during... Uh, the time I was with Travis, I had an opportunity to sub for some artists as well. Um, during downtime with, with Travis, you know, there were gaps in our schedule. We did about 70 dates a year. So there were opportunities to work with some other people and, um, having the association with Travis, having the experience you know, working at that level and, you know, um, it opened doors for other opportunities. Um, I got called to, uh, sub, well, actually I got called to go out and play with Joe Diffie for about six months when he was in between drummers and, uh, uh, we had some time off. Travis took a sabbatical. This was probably in 2004. Uh, Travis was having his second child, he and, he and his wife. So he decided to, you know, shut down for a few months and, and, uh, do the family thing. So it just happened to be a time where Joe Diffie didn't have a drummer and I knew some people in his band. So I went out and did that, which was a, which was a, you know, a great honor because he was such a fantastic, Another great singer. Yeah. Um, tragic that we just lost Joe. I had a chance to do that. And then I, uh, had a chance to work with Tanya Tucker some sub for her drummer. Uh, at the time, uh, her drummer was Jack Gavin, another fantastic drummer. Um, so I went out and I sub for, uh, Jack on the, uh, Tanya Tucker gig. And I, I worked with Doug Stone and, you know, I think the credential working with Travis Tritt was very appealing to these artists. If they knew that, oh, well, this guy works for Travis Tritt. Well, he must not be a slouch. So I just, <laughs> right. I just got, you know, and interestingly enough, uh, the same thing took place with, uh, with, uh, Pam Tillis. I subbed for Pam Tillis who I had auditioned for. I didn't get the gig. <laughs> right. but once I had the gig with Travis, it was like, Oh, okay, well he's playing with Travis Tritt. Well, we could use him as a sub. Yeah. And, um, Tanya Tucker was the same way. I auditioned for Tanya Tucker and and didn't get the gig. Yeah, it's just you know, it's, it's kind of it's kind of funny that you're you know I guess once you have a credential like Travis Tritt and you're established, uh, it, it's helpful. People look at you different. Yeah, um, there's a certain level of name recognition, and yeah, you, you know I don't want to gloss over anything that's on your resume but you know j just for our listeners you know some of the artists that you've played with over the years rick derringer john Waite, uh john mellencamp uh winona 
the Oak Ridge Boys, T. Graham Brown. Uh, you know, I mean, it just it goes on and on and on. You know, I, and look, I'm not trying to put you on the spot or anything, but you know, when you were 16, you know, at the David Gilmore show in Syracuse, did you ever, <laughs> could you have ever imagined that you would be sitting here having this conversation all those years later with those names on your resume? No, not, not at all. I've, I've been very, very blessed. Very, 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 very fortunate. You know, I've, I've had a, I've had a very, I've had a really good career. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I have to remind myself of that, you know, especially with the state of the affairs that were, that's taking place now in the world. But, you know, um, uh, I've been really luck- lucky, man. I, I've uh, I've been blessed. God has definitely shown favor to me in my career, and uh, I've had some wonderful opportunities, and it's been a privilege. And I say that as humbly and genuinely as possible, because there are so many great musicians in this town, and fantastic drummers, and you know, I've just been very fortunate to have had some great opportunities and work with not only the the names that you just mentioned, but fantastic musicians that have been associated with those people, you know? Yeah. I, I've been very fortunate, very blessed. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I mean, and I say all that you're, you're being far too humble because your playing is ridiculously good. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I think that has propelled some of that, you know, there, there is some luck in it, no doubt about it. But, um, you know, if you only know how to play, you know, straight ahead four, four at 120 PPM, <laughs> you know, if that's all you can do, all the luck in the world, isn't going to keep you working. If you know what I mean, you're, you're yeah, sure. a, a very versatile player. And, you know, I, I think this is a good chance to kind of transition a little bit. I want to thank you very much for sending me a copy of your new solo record um, that, that just came out a couple of months back. Um, it is called David Northrup Shapes, and uh, you were kind enough to send me a copy of it uh, so that I could give it a, a whirl. And I, I got to tell you, David, you know, when, when I see solo records from drummers, I I I expect one of two things, right? Either to be completely underwhelmed, <laughs> you know, if I'm being, <laughs> if I'm being honest, like, Oh, okay, well it's, it's good, but you know, it, it, it typically doesn't blow me away. And then the, the flip side of that is it's going to be 65 minutes of drum soloing over <laughs> other dudes noodling around. Right. So that, that's just been my experience. So I pull the CD out of the sleeve and and put it in the player. And, you know, the, the first song that came on is called Snakes and Spiders. And it was one of the nastiest halftime, nasty in a good way, halftime shuffle grooves. You were definitely paying tribute to, to, to Picaro, I think, because yeah. it, it is just fantastic. And I was like, oh, this dude... <laughs> David came to play. He brought his A game. I listened to the whole record, which I typically don't do, but I sat and listened to the whole record in one, you know, sitting and man, it's really fantastic. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're you're welcome. So where did this come from? I, I guess, you know, I mean, I know that you wrapped up with Boz, uh, you know, a, a little while back, but how long has this been percolating in your life? I mean, did you, is this something that's been a work in project for a long time or was this a, hey, I'm going to get a bunch of my really good player friends together and we're going to do an album? Um, that was, uh, that was definitely a project that was inspired by uh, a very close friend of mine, Shane Terrio. Um, Shane is a fantastic guitar player. Uh, he and I met doing, uh, doing session work together here in Nashville. We first met, um, working with Joel Saunier. Shane at the time was working with the Neville brothers and I was still doing some dates with Les Dudek. This is probably about 95, 96. And we just hit it off. We had a lot of, uh, common musical interests and uh so shane recruited me to play on his first solo record that came out in 2000 and um it had uh some really you know fantastic players on it um mead willie green from the neville brothers and jd blair and and myself and a lot of just heavy heavy musicians and while we were doing that record, you know, he said, this is something that you might want to consider down the road. And, you know, I didn't put a lot of thought into it. And then a few years later, uh, I did another, I played on one of, one of uh, his second recording. And, you know, again, the, the topic came up. So I, I really started thinking about it and considering it. It was probably, I don't know, 2004. And so I went into the studio with some guys that I was in a kind of a band project with, and we cut some instrumental songs and, and nothing ever came of that. Um, then a few years later, I went to New Orleans with Shane. He produced four tracks and, and got, uh, some great players to record with me. Um, George Porter Jr. from The Meters, uh, David Torkinowski, who's a uh, just a fantastic jazz pianist. Uh, and we recorded four of Shane's songs. And we recorded that actually at a studio that he was part owner in at the time called Fudge Studios. Um, so that took place. And uh, it got set on the back burner just because life and touring and, and all that took place. Um, and then after wrapping up with Boz Skaggs in 2000, at the end of 2017, I, I thought, you know, this is the time I've got to, I've got to finish that. I got to you know finish this record. Um, and in 2018, when Boz came back into town, I was able to utilize some of the players that I had toured with. I with got Boz. You. Yeah. Mike, Mike Miller, fantastic guitar player. Mike's background is, you know, he played with Gino Vanelli for years. He played with Chick Corea's electric band too. Um, Eric Crystal, saxophone player, you know, I met playing with Boz and, uh, he's on it. And, uh, and Shane also played with Boz Gags 
about 10 years prior to me being involved. Oh, okay. All right. And, and he was the one that actually recommended me for the Boz gig uh, to Richard Patterson. Okay. Who was Boz's bass player and band leader. And uh, that's how that actually happened. That door opened uh, okay. for me because of, because of Shane. But Shane, Shane produced the record for me and, and just really helped. Um, you know, he got me some great players and some, some good songs. And, uh, you know, helped with the, the mix. Um, I was really fortunate to have Richard Corsello, who's a very acclaimed engineer. Um, he worked in the last tracking session that I did here in Nashville. We tracked the last four songs with him and then Richard mixed the record and Richard has worked with guys like, you know, he's worked with bad English. Uh, he's worked with the, the guys from Tesla. I actually met Richard through Troy Liketa. Okay. Um, and Richard also worked with, uh, Sonny Rollins. He was Sonny Rollins, uh, engineer for many, many years. Um, so I was just, I can't, say enough of how significant Richard's uh, work in recording uh, and mixing on the record, uh, how, how important that was for the end result. I mean, it, it, uh, you know, he, he really did an outstanding job for me. Great guy too. I, I will agree with that wholeheartedly because, you know, a lot of times, you, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get too far inside baseball here, right? And, and certainly don't break any confidences, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say you probably didn't have a three or $400,000 budget to get this done. No. <laughs> you know, no. those those don't exist for major label artists these days, you know? Um, no. So, you know, obviously this was, you know, a passion project, but it sounds as good as anything else with unlimited budgets. Um it's just a really good record. Well, thank you. Thank You're, you very much. I appreciate that. Well, you've definitely got something to be proud of here. And, you know, the mix quality is just phenomenal. Um, it just sounds good from start to finish. And if I'm being honest with you, you know, I wasn't expecting, you know, kind of this really cool jazzy record, you know, coming from the guy that played drums in Travis Tritt's band and, and Oak Ridge Boys. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, you've got some legit jazz chops as well, man. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, Yeah, it was definitely a passion project. It was, you know, um, a project that I wanted to showcase a different side of my playing that I don't have an opportunity to to do as much as I would like, you know. Um, And, you know, initially it was just going to be a project to be able to you know, have my own tracks to play along to when I did drum clinics. And then it just, uh, I guess, snowballed into something a little bit more special, I guess, just because of the opportunities of, of the good songs that I had to, to, to work with and the, uh, the personnel, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, I, I, I thank you for the, the kind words. I am very proud of it. Um, you know, I, uh, it definitely took a long time to finish, um, 
but I, I, I am I'm pleased with the end result. Well, yeah, as you should be. Um, so Thank for you. you're welcome. So for folks listening, um, this hit the streets right before the global pandemic broke loose. Yeah. Um, perfect timing. Per- perfect time to release a record, David. Way, yeah. to, way to go, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but all joking aside, you know, I, I'm assuming this can be picked up pretty much anywhere fine music can be found. But you know, tell folks where it's going to help you the most. If they want to check it out, I'm assuming going to your website is the the best way. Going to my website, you can buy physical copies there. Yep. Without a doubt. Um, It's only 10 bucks. And then there's a a small fee for shipping, which is, I think maybe three bucks. Um, You can also um, order it direct from me. um, If you're on Facebook if you reach out to me at David Northrop Drums, um, I'm also on Instagram, David Northrop Drums. I've sold a bunch of them that way. People just reach out to me and, uh, you know, pay by Venmo or PayPal. Um, it is also uh, available at CD Baby for download. It's also available. Physical copies can be purchased at CDBaby.com. Uh, and then it's also available for download on iTunes. Okay. So, yeah, it's not streaming just yet. Uh, it eventually will be, but you know, for those that understand streaming, you don't make right. very much money at all. And it, it, it's definitely, it's not a project about making money. It's, that's not it. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I hope to cater towards musicians that are like me i i'm very much interested in album credits and recording and understanding the process and you know i'm I'm hoping that uh there are still people like me that like physical copies that can have that you know um so uh i i was going to give it a few more months before i make it available for streaming yeah i i think that's smart and you know we we have you know drummers from every genre on the show and talk about their new releases and all that good stuff. And I always say to folks, look, buy a physical copy, you know, it, buy it from CD baby. If you have to download it, go to CD baby because they actually pay the artist a little bit more. If you go through Spotify yeah. or Apple or whatever, you know, I, I famously point to Peter Frampton who said, you know, baby, I love your way. Got downloaded 15 million times and I got a check for 2000 bucks. You know, so I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty it's unfortunate. It's pretty stupid to, to, to think about, you know, how much music gets consumed that way. And so little of that revenue makes it to the creator and the artist. And, you know, we're, yeah. we're all working hard to change that, but change takes time. And, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, I, <laughs> I opened up a billboard magazine back over the summer and I can't remember. It was one of the, the hip hop artists, uh, number one record in the country that week debuted at number one and had sold 6,000 physical copies, but had been, you know, streamed 80 million times. So (laughs) unbelievable. (laughs) It really is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, Yeah, It's, it's, uh, Definitely a, a a considerable contrast to what it was like growing up, and I think 
uh, unfortunately, that uh, that is 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 played a role in uh, the saturation of mediocrity that is available for people to hear. Yep. You know, and uh, I I just think the the general populace has been dumbed down on on what is exceptional and what is passable. You know, because anything can be thrown out there. Uh, you know, there's no gatekeeper anymore. I agree. Uh, and and uh, it, it's unfortunate. It, it really is. And, you know, I say all the time, and I, I don't mean to get on my soapbox here, but I have said this on the show uh, a million times over the last two years that I've been doing episodes of the Drum Shuffle. The good news is anybody can make a record right now. The bad mm-hmm. news is anybody yeah. can make a record right now. The, the problem yeah. is there's so much good music out there, great music even, but you are so oversaturated with things, you, it's hard to find the great ones, you know? Yeah, yeah um, you're right. I, I would agree 100%. So uh, it, it, you just, you know, you got to go through 10,000 releases every week to find the 10 or 12 that are really stellar. And, mm-hmm. you know, Trying to do my part on this show, if you're a drummer and you like good music, you know, Shapes by David Northrup is an approved listen from the drum shuffle. <laughs> so, well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Pick up a plug. Pick up a copy of it. Um, David, as is the tradition here on our show, and I want to be respectful of your time. I don't want to take up your whole day, but what we traditionally do with all of our guests is we ask them for good advice. And, you know, you've played with so many just, you know, legendary artists and you've been doing it at such a high level for such a long time. What advice would you give to other drummers, other musicians that they should be doing in their day-to-day lives? Oh, good question. Um, just as we spoke about the oversaturation of mediocrity as far as music is concerned. I think there's an oversaturation on YouTube and Instagram and, and any place that you can see videos of, of all these players with these stellar chops. And, and, and uh, I think uh, a lot of that is, is incredible. And uh, I'm impressed and enamored by, by some of that, but I always have this, thing in the back of my mind when I see some of this and I always ask myself or, or sometimes I want to respond and, and say with what you just displayed, how does that make the music feel and <laughs> what, in what context would you use all that stuff from a working standpoint? And it's not to diminish um, great technique and, and the fluidity and, and the masterfulness of, of someone having, uh, stellar chops, but the the most important thing that we do as musicians is support each other, as we do as drummers, is to support the song, regardless of what it is. You know, so uh, good time, good feel. You know, having touch on your instrument. You know, a breathing life into music. You know, anybody can get up and, and hit things on our instrument. You can make noise on the drum set. There's a difference between that and making music on the drum set. 
So I always try to think in terms of what can I do to support the music? What can I do to make it feel good? That's everything. And um, I think there was a bit of, uh, of good fortune growing up in a time listening to guys like Jim Keltner and Jeff Beccaro and, and Steve Gadd, mm-hmm. Rick and Jerry Murata and Manu Cache and Vinny and, and Dave Weckl and, uh, you know, a, a list of list goes on, you know, um, Russ Kunkel, mm-hmm. you know, guys that played just, just with, with, uh, with just a lush passion for making the music feel good. And, um, those players stick out because that they were the, they were the epitome of, the epitome of that. And, and it's transcended to guys like, uh, you know, uh, you know, Greg Bissonette's another fantastic musical player. Um, Matt Chamberlain, uh, Abe Laboriel Jr. You know, these are names of people that, that young players should be familiar with. Yep. And it goes back to like album credits. You know, if you don't have an opportunity or if you don't have the resources, which we do to, to look up and find out who played on what. And that's, that's part of our tutelage as, as players. It was part of my tutelage growing up was reading album credits, finding out who played that great groove that drew me in, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I guess I'm going a little bit off on tangent here, but, you know, referring back to all these fantastic videos of these lightning fast chops, that's not all there is. Those, that's, that's maybe the icing on the cake. That's maybe a tenth of what is really required if you want a job, you know? You yeah. have to play play for the song. You have to really listen to the lyrics. You have to, you know, like I said, breathe life into a track. You know, make it sound human. You know, yeah. and that just comes down with paying attention and and listening to what everybody else is playing and supporting that. You know, that's super super good advice and. Speaking of good videos, um, you know, I, I want to give a plug to your YouTube channel. Um, lo- lots of great drum cam footage of you playing with all of these artists. And when I was just a wee little lad growing up, uh, you know, the, the, the first song that I can remember that was just like life changing for me was Elvira by the Oak Ridge boys. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I was probably two or three years old when that was, you know, number one on the country charts for weeks and weeks on end. And, you know, I checked out your video of you playing that song, pretty simple song, not much to it, but you had some just so tasty, you know, nothing over the top chop wise, but just little tasty embellishments in that song that were perfect. That's yeah, what you're you. talking about. <laughs> well, thanks. You know, and that was a great gig. Those guys were very, very, uh, very cool about allowing and wanting us as musicians to do what we could to make things sound and feel maybe a little bit more current, you know, but also honoring the roots of the song. And uh, they love that sort of stuff, you know. So I was that was that was a that was a cool a, a cool situation to be able to 
to, to, to stretch a little bit, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's, and it's great. And there's tons of great content on your YouTube channel. So I'm going to encourage everybody to check that out. Um, one last thing before we let you go. Um, I know you do a lot of, uh, you know, kind of master classes and clinics uh, with your association with Gretsch and, and all the different companies that, that you've been with for a number of years. Do you take on private students at all these days or are you focusing mainly on the clinic side of education? No, no, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm definitely wel- welcoming uh, students. You know, as it stands right now, Skype, Skype lessons, Zoom lessons, uh, I've actually even done lessons just with my phone. Um, you know, just considering the state of where we are right now with, with the COVID-19 situation. Um, but I am, I am definitely set up for, for teaching and, uh, would definitely welcome new students. I have a few right now. Um, but I'm very much looking to expand that so people could reach out to me on social media or, uh, you know, my email, which is dsnorthrop at aol.com. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm totally into that. Uh, the clinic thing has been wonderful. And I had about seven clinics on the books uh, that, unfortunately got canceled and I was uh, really looking forward to those to, to help promote the CD and all my companies have been really fantastic about that. But, you know, tragically they all have gone away with yeah. the, uh, the state of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's uh, hoping and praying that we're back to normal here before too long and you can get Amen. out there and, you know, educate the masses as you've been doing for many, many years, David, I I sincerely want to thank you for taking time to do this. I'm, I'm, you know, as I mentioned, we've got so many friends in common. It's amazing that we haven't met before now, but, um, I know, uh, I really look forward to, to getting in a room with you at some point and shaking your hand and all that, but thanks for taking the time to come on the drum shuffle uh, everybody, it's davidnorthrop.com. Uh, he has dropped his email and all that. We'll link to all that stuff from our website. Reach out to David. Uh, he, he'd be a great resource for you. Uh, David, thanks so much. You're welcome here anytime. Thanks very much, Jamie. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Folks, go pick up Shapes by David Northrup. David, we will talk to you very, very soon, sir. Thank you. All right. See you now. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 97 of the Drum Shuffle. Hey, as always, thank you so much for tuning in. We just absolutely cannot do this show without each and every one of you doing so week in and week out. We appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. As always, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen in. We have some fantastic interviews coming up over the next couple of weeks that you're not going to want to miss. Next week, I'm going to be joined by a great producer, drummer, uh, and recording engineer. Uh, Mark Damien will be my guest next week. And then the week after that, I am going to be joined by the drummer of one of my favorite bands uh, of all time, Junkyard. I will be joined by Patrick Musingo of Junkyard. And that's one that I've been looking forward to for quite some time as well. So you're not going to want to miss that. 
As always, we answer every single email that we receive here. Uh, the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is where you can reach out to us. Uh, we will respond to that. TheDrumShuffle.com is our web address. And of course, you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't do it without you. You guys stay safe, stay healthy, keep on woodshedding. And until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>